Today we come to the Hall of Fame, and uh, this shall be the introductory sermon on Hebrews 11. Uh, what I hope to do is to walk you through every single character one by one. And I want to begin with the people who are before me today. Because the sermon today is by faith we. The rest will be by faith, Abel, by faith, Noah, by faith, Abraham, by faith, Sarah, by faith, Moses. But today is by faith we. So kindly turn to God's word in Hebrews 11. We shall read the world chapter to give us a bearing on this introduction. And then uh, we shall uh, concentrate on the first three verses. Hebrews 11. Are you there? Hebrews 11. Please hear the word of God. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commanding him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, through, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commanded as having pleased God. And, faith, and, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she conceded him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised. But having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. 
if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the hand of his turf. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the, of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encycled for seven days. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who are disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of, the weak, out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sown in two. They were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all this though commanded through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. There is a word of God. By faith we, 
is our subject this morning. Please come in. There are seats right here, so many seats here and more here and over there. Ever since creation, God has always required man to fully trust him, to totally trust him. Please note that faith is not something that came with the fall. Many theologians say that, that faith is need, or was needed after the fall. I don't think so. Faith is not something that came with the fall in Genesis 3. Before creation, God required and expected Adam to trust him, to depend on his word, and to live by his promises. God has never saved anyone by his good works. He has always honored faith. He has always required faith. He has always expected faith. Faith in God is faith in his word. And that's where Adam and Eve failed. They did not believe what God had said. is what the Catechism for Boys and Girls tells us. What was the sin of Adam and Eve? They did not believe what God had told them. If they had believed what God had told them, doubts that had been planted by the serpent could not have been received. Who can sink her? That was the problem, that they did not believe what God had said in his word. So then, God has always honored faith. He has always been pleased by faith because without faith, it is impossible. That's what verse 6 says. It is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to him must believe that he exists and that he's a rewarder of all those who diligently seek him. If Adam and Eve did not have faith, and they didn't, eventually they didn't, but for so long as they had faith to trust in God, they, were, they had peace with God. So then it should be observed that true faith will always bear the fruit of good works, just as a mango tree will always produce mangoes. And so, Pastor John MacArthur captures it like this. He says, faith is the way to life, and faith is the way to live. There has never been any other way. Although actually, he, in his commentary, says that uh, faith was not needed before the fall. Yet, in that statement, he says, faith is the way to live, and faith is the way to live. Faith is the way to life, and faith is the way to live. There has never been any other way. So there is a sense in which he does contradict himself 
if indeed there was no need for faith before the fall. So let us ask ourselves then, what is faith? Because this is what uh, the author does. He defines faith for us. What is faith? Is the first question we shall ask, and then we will ask the question, why faith? So those are the two things that we shall deal with as we consider by faith we. So what is faith and why faith? Two answers for the definition, what is faith, and three answers for why faith. Now, faith, the Bible says, is the assurance of things hoped for. Faith is the conviction of things not seen. That's a double definition provided by the author. And that definition smells of the Hebrew parallelism where you say the same thing twice but perhaps in two different ways. It's the same thing that you're saying. So faith is the assurance of things hoped for. And then faith is the conviction of things not seen. So faith gets hold of things. They are things either hoped for or things not seen. But faith grabs that with assurance, with conviction. This double-stroke definition of faith lays out for us what faith is in a very basic way. So let's consider then that faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Faith is both an assurance and hope at the same time. It is hope assured, hope secured. Where does hope this hope come from? Hope is a fruit of God's promises in his word. When you believe God's promises, then you have hope. When God's promises fruits into hope, then faith is seen. So God's promises fruits into hope and bears faith. That's how it works. It might help us to go back to the root word, the Greek word translated assurance. That Greek word has been used before. So let's turn to Hebrews 1.3. Look at verse 3. Speaking of Christ, and I have preached on this one verse, Christ is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. See that word translated exact imprint? That's the word 
Upostasis. And it's the same word used also in chapter 3, verse 14. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. The word translated firm confidence, and some translations render it trust, means, or it's the same word that we are dealing with when you're talking about the assurance of things hoped for, the assurance. And what does that term then essentially refer to? It, is the, it refers to the essence or the substance or the reality as opposed to the appearance, what, is, what it appears to be. What is visible? You know, we know that uh, you look at uh, a car, you look at its body, and you determine whether or not it's a nice car. But really, if you got a mechanic to come and evaluate it, you will not look at the body at all, right? Where will he go? He will go to the engine. He will open the bonnet. And he wants to look at the engine. And he will ask you to, to, to ignite it. And he will listen to its noise. And then he will tell you whether the car is in good shape, whether it's a good car or not. He's not going to be like you and me who will go and stand and say, that looks like a nice car. And we would be happy with it. The essence of a car is not in its appearance. It's in its engine, which may not necessarily be open. And actually, if, it is, if the engine is, is out there being seen by everyone, it would be scary, isn't it? It's not going to look very attractive. So the essence is, is not usually visible. It's the same of you and me. Our true us is not visible. Our, our essence is our souls. And the souls are not seen every day by anyone. Only God sees it. So then that word assurance is the essence or the reality. So faith is the real content the essence, the substance, the highest assurance of things hoped for. Note that uh, the hope spoken of in the Bible is not a wishful longing. It's not a desired outcome. It's not that wistful expectation. The hope of the Bible is not the wannabe. It is the assured hope. It is anchored on God's promises. It is absolutely certain, completely solid, and firmly sure. In hope, we look forward with confidence to that which is good and beneficial because we read in 1 Timothy 4.10, 
because we have placed our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Look at that statement. We have placed our hope in the living God. It's the same as saying, we have placed our faith, our full trust, our confidence. In other words, it's not uh, wishy-washy. It's not wavering. It's not waning. It's not something like it may or may not be. This is firm. So this hope comes from God. It's built upon God's word. And this biblical hope is not just a feeling, you know, that all shall be well with our souls. It's not that kind of uh, uh, hope. Because this hope, the Bible says, in Romans chapter 15 verse 4, comes through the encouragement of scriptures. It says, through the encouragement of scriptures, we might have hope. In Romans 15 verse 4. So, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. That's faith. And then secondly, faith is the conviction of things not seen. So, faith is very different from what is visible. Faith sees further than the eyes can see. And therefore, it's called the conviction of things not seen. What does this mean? See, our, our natural res- response is to trust in our five senses, isn't it? What we can see, what we can touch and feel what we can smell, what we can hear, what we can taste. But faith trusts in God. It depends on his word. It stands on his promises. It rests on God's power. It remains secured on his personal presence. Where he promises us, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. That's where faith is secured. And that is not usually visible, is it? When we are faced with an assurance of truth, our hope is solidified. And when our hope is solid, we respond with a conviction, isn't it? And that's true of even real life situations. You're given some information, and then your mind processes it, processes that truth, uh, that, that uh, fact, or that knowledge, that information, as either true or false, right? Once you determine that this is true, then you trust. In other words, your, 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 your own uh, convictions are solidified. 
And then when you are reporting about it later, you respond with conviction because you know that this is true. You have tested it. Take, for example, the man who is just, whom we have we are just told about him not so far from here. No. We are told by faith, no. Being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Consider this. Noah had never seen rain. You know, by that time in Genesis 6, it had never rained. But Noah was told by God that there was going to be flood with water coming from beneath and from above. And here's a man who had never seen water come from above. He could have said, it doesn't seem very probable. I've, I've never experienced that. I don't believe it. But Noah believed what God said. And with solid conviction, because it's, it's, it's this conviction then that moved his actions. He embarked on constructing the ark. That's how faith works. Having been convinced, having been assured, then conviction leads to action. And a series of actions of obedience. And Noah's obedience was this outworking of his faith. And because we are told that it was by faith that he constructed an ark for the saving of his household. So then, this biblical faith sees what physical eyes cannot see. It believes what God says, not what you have experienced. It is greater than the sixth sense, if there had been one. Faith gladly accepts willingly what God has said, even though it may not fully comprehend what has been said. It completely relies on the fidelity of God. On the assurance that God does not lie and God cannot lie. Faith knows that he who promised is faithful. He will do it. So... That's faith. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Faith is the conviction of things not seen. You realize that even though the charismatic preachers, the word of faith, the health and wealth preachers say and constantly quote this verse, they actually don't understand it. They tell us that faith is the conviction of things not seen and yet insist on our seeing. Seeing health, seeing wealth. And so it doesn't add up. Their definition of faith is 
from there worked up. Let's then consider why faith. Why faith? It's the second thing. This is not, not just a definition of faith, but it is also, it gives us the reason for faith. You see, it's not enough that you tell people the truth. It's not enough to tell us, you know, the what. If you don't tell us the why, you still leave us with questions. So the question of the why is seeking to convince you to have it, to have this faith. Unless you know why, you usually tend not to have conviction. Unless you know why, you tend not to have assurance, isn't it? But once you've been given the reasons, and the reasons sound plausible, then you are convinced, then you are assured. And God is very reasonable. He tells us what faith is, but he also tells us why we should have it. And it shows how God is patient and kind with us. So we have a threefold reason preceded by the phrase, for by it. Notice that phrase. Verse 2, for by it. Then verse 3, by faith. And then it says, by the word of God, and then eventually, so that even the implications are drawn. So this passage then gives three reasons for faith and the outcome of it. Number one, by faith, there is divine commendation. By faith, there is understanding. And by faith, there is comprehension. So, let's consider those three reasons. For by it, the Bible says, the people of old were commended. For by it, the people of old received their commendation, verse 2. Let's do it one by one. For by it... The people of old received their commendation. Keep your eyes on that verse. But then look at verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commending, through which he was commended as righteous. And then God says, God commending him by accepting his gift. Look at uh, Enoch. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. Let me just use those two men. And then the very last verse, uh, uh, verse 39, 
Second to last verse. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. They were commended through their faith. So do you see then the reason why you need to have faith? Because the men of old were commended not because of anything else, but because they had faith. And the question here is, does God command any man? Men who are totally depraved in mind, in heart, in appetite, in everything? Why would God, the infinitely holy God, approve a man who is sinful in thought, sinful in word, and sinful in deed? Why would God approve? Does it seem incredible that God would command and approve man? Well, the Bible says, by it, by faith, the people of old received their commendation. So Abel received his commendation. Enoch received his commendation. And all this, we are told in verse 39, received their, they were commended through their faith. So clearly God does command men. God does command the ungodly. The Bible speaks of the God who justifies the ungodly in Romans chapter 4 verse 5. And to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. And this means that uh, you can be commended by God too this morning. God actually approved the Old Testament believers in spite of all their shortcomings, in spite of all their limited knowledge of the Word of God and of His promises. God commanded them, even though they were no more holy than you are. He commanded them, not because of who they were or when they lived, or where they lived, but because they trusted in him. They trusted in God. They relied on him. They lived for him. See, all sinners, no matter how sinful, can be approved and be commended by God. Why? Because God commands those who have faith in him. So, my dear friend, you don't need to be wiser. You don't need to be holier. You don't need to be more righteous. And you can't be even. You don't need to be more than you are to receive divine commendation. You need to trust in Christ. You need to depend on God. You need to walk by faith and not by sight. So the question that comes to our minds is, what is this commendation? What is this commendation? The word translated commended is a compound word 
whose root word is witness. So, to witness, uh, those of you who have done uh, uh, homiletics, preaching, you know that uh, one of the definitions of a preacher is that he is a, a witness. Now, that word witness means to speak well of a person on the basis of personal experience. It is to speak well of another on the basis of personal experience. So you're not, wit you're not a witness because you had so-and-so say this and that. Now, if you, went, if you were to be produced as a witness and you said, you began your testimony by saying that I'm going to speak the truth and nothing but the truth and the whole truth of all that I had from my friend. You know what's going to happen? You would be dismissed. You would not be a witness. They want a witness who has a personal experience of what he's talking about. So then, when we read that God commended these people of old, it means that God himself, you know, he has, his commendation is not based on pretense or deception. It is based on the truth about the person. God commends what he knows. We know that he is too wise to be mistaken. We know that he, he cannot err. We know that uh, he, he is omniscient and that he does not lie. He cannot lie. So then, when we read that he, was, he, he actually commended the people of old, then we know for sure that it was based on his sovereign omniscience knowledge. It was based on divine sanctions of mercy. So what commendation is this? Because of their faith in God, because they were saying, God, we do not trust in the arm of flesh like Mr. Sennacherib. We read about that in Second uh, Chronicles 32. We do not trust in ourselves. We do not trust in what we are. We do not trust in what we have. We trust in you. Why would God not commend them? God is not commending them for what they are or what they have. He is commending them for the God that they have. Because you see, faith stops trusting in self and trust in God. So, they pleased God. And so verse 6 tells us, without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to him must believe that he exists and that he's a rewarder 
of those who seek him. The Lord approves those who please him because of their full trust and confidence in God. God is not pleased by them because of anything in them or anything with them, but because of their reliance on him. Those who trust in him fight him to be a sure refuge for their souls, and so they obey him out of their love for him. And then secondly, by faith there is understanding of God's word. The author assumes and expects his readers to be with him in this, in the faith that he's talking about when he includes himself. He says, by faith we understand by the word of God. By this statement, he is taking us to the first pages of Genesis, of creation, and he is He's saying that, you know, creation happened. He's not even thinking about it twice. He believes that uh, there was creation. He also believes that all the characters that he writes about in the next statements lived just exactly as the Bible says that they did. By faith, Abel, he is going back to Genesis 4. By faith, no, he takes us to Genesis 5 at the end and Genesis 6 and following. By faith, Abraham, he takes us to the end of Genesis 11 and then from Genesis 12. So he has absolute trust in what is written by God in his word. And he expects us to be. By faith, we, with the order. By faith Abel, by faith Enoch, by faith Noah, by faith Abraham. This man understood by the word of God. They relied on the light of the scriptures. These men were commended because they stopped trusting in themselves and trusted in God. And so followed his word. Their testimonies, their witness which is written in the, in, the, in the scriptures, is credible. What the Bible says they did, they did. What the Bible says they said, they said. So, because God has spoken about them, therefore, they are commanded. So we take it to be true because God is true, God is truthful, God is trustworthy. The only means by which we understand the universe was created through God's uh, word is faith. Because we were not there. Or were you there? Were you there when God said, let there be light? No, you were not there. Did you hear God say, let there be light? No, your ears didn't hear it. But you read about it. And you believe that this is actually what happened. God came and said, let there be light. And there was light. And you don't need to, you know, you don't need any empirical analysis of God's uh, voice and the number of decibels that uh, he used to, to say, let there be light, for you to take it to be true. So by faith, we understand that uh, all that the Bible says about creation and about Abel and Noah and all the rest of them is true. 
We did not hear what, what God said. We were not there. We did not see what came out of it. But we believe he did so because that's what he tells us in his word. And so there is no, uh, there is no cutting faith from the word of God. There is no faith without the word of God. At least there is no true faith. There is no saving faith. We do not understand because of empirical evidence, as pagan scientists tell us, because they are godly scientists. For even our own understanding of creation is limited. It's not that we, you know, when we, we, we read by faith, we understand. It's not saying that by faith, we, ha- we immediately develop these wonderful supernatural capacities that uh, everything written is as soon understood perfectly. It's not telling us that. Even our own understanding of the word of God is limited and it's finite. And so it's not that we understand everything about creation or that now we have no question whatsoever about, about creation, but rather it's that we accept as true because God has said it, we believe it. Therefore, we try to having accepted that what God says is true, we try to understand what God said, knowing that our own understanding is not unlimited, knowing that our own understanding is murdered and affected by sin. So we try to understand what was created with the understanding that God designed it and he designed it out of nothing by his power. And that's the third point. By faith we understand the creation. How did things that exist come about? And you know that the world is divided into many camps trying to understand the origin of life, the origin of existence. And there are those who think that uh, there was this boom. And all of a sudden, there was life and everything came about. The Big Bang Theory. That's a very, I must say that that's a very foolish thing to say, you know. Big Bang and then there was, out of chaos, out of commotion, there was order. Where, does the, where do we find things working out that way? You know, big bang. And you find a world professor defending his dissertation on the big bang. And he's, he's studying before these people and he's telling them how this big bang comes about. And so a, a good friend of mine um, has written a book called uh, What is God? And uh, he says, you don't need to sit down and listen to all those long lectures. All you need to do is get hold of a grenade and throw it in a junkyard and out comes the Rolls and Royce and tell him to drive it. And you well know that it's not going to work that way. 
For a car to come out of those metals, some people have to sit down and design it and work on it day and night, and eventually there would be a car to drive. Otherwise, if you go to a junkyard and, and lobby a grenade like that, commotion will produce more commotion. That's what uh, Andy Andrews argues for. It's a really lovely book to read because it's also written with a lot of uh, humor. Um, the, the book, uh, Who Created God? I think it's the name of the book. Um, Evangelical Press. Anyway, before I lost myself, <laughs> I was telling you this, that uh, the world is divided into all these cups trying to work out how and where life came from. Now, there, there, there is this camp led by Mr. Charles Darwin, who wrote the book on the origin of species. And you know what that book does not tell you? It's a book that is titled On the Origin of Species, but it doesn't tell you the origin. It tells you everything else except what it is about. Because it tells you all about ecology and, you know, mutation and genes and all that transforming into one thing into the other and because of the survival for the fittest. But really, what Mr. Darwin does not tell us is where the first cell came from. And there are those who try to combine all those theories together and so now you have some Christians calling themselves uh, um, creation evolutionists, which is just confusion. God created everything. It's as simple as that. And God created everything by the means of his word. God spoke, and it came to pass. God called all the eons, the generations, time, light, water, land, the sun, everything. He called them into existence. He simply said, let there be, and it was. By what theologians call fiat, you know, he said it, and it was. Out of nothing. He didn't need any matter to produce matter. He simply made all that we see from things that are invisible. That is his own word. That's what the Bible says. So theologians use that term, ex nihilo, which means God did not have anything when he created everything. God used his word. And through that word, 
everything that we see came about. Of nothing. Out of nothing. God created out of nothing. God created with nothing. And God created from nothing into everything. So what is seen was not made out of things visible. The invisible God created the visible universe using invisible means, namely his word. And the only means by which we understand this is the same thing, his word. So for you to have faith, to believe in God, you must go back to God to give you his word so that you may believe in him and have faith in him and trust in him and please him. So the only means by which you understand this is through faith. If you don't have faith, you are struggling in what I'm saying right now. We are fully persuaded that he did not rely on Anything outside of himself, he did not rely on anyone outside of himself, he simply spoke and it came to be. For we read in Genesis chapter 4 verse 17, of God who gives life to the dead and calls into existence, into existence the things that do not exist. And you know, I pull out that verse because it one tells us that God created things out of nothing, but also because the prosperity preachers quote it a lot, telling you, I hope not you, others, telling them that you can speak into existence just as God did. I think it's a grace and truth Magazine, issue number 128 and 129, Pastor Barnabas Olari has written ex extensively an article on the word of faith. He calls it the death of faith in the word of faith movement. You need to look for that article. So that verse, Romans chapter 4 verse 17, tells us that God by his sovereign authority, by his unlimited power, subject to no law, no authority, by sheer fiat, brings things out of nothing. The passage intends to show God's sovereign, limitless, infinite power, and not to paint him as one who is dependent on anyone or subject to some other higher law or principle. Because according to the charismatic preachers, by the way, faith is the law that governs the universe. And God himself is subject to it. That's what they teach. So you've had some heresy today. That's what these people say. And you can listen to all of them. You can listen to Kenneth Copeland. You can listen to those guys like uh, Joyce Meyer and all the rest of them. And they will tell you that. And they would say that when you have ascended to the, uh, to the, the, the lander of faith, you stop praying and you begin to decree and declare. And decreeing and declaring is the highest form of this realm of faith. 
And so then you fight them. They don't really pray, do they? They decree and they declare into existence because they have supposedly become some gods. Please, don't listen to them because faith and the word of God are very, very, very closely connected. All right, let's, uh, let's look at uh, applications from these three verses because it's by faith we. Number one, faith is very powerful for it is the tool that God regards. Faith is the tool that God regards. The Bible recognizes the high premium of faith and list the great works accomplished by the men of old through their faith. Would you consider their great service to the Lord, their obedience of faith, their severe trials they endured, severe trials, and many more? You would acknowledge that faith is such a powerful tool that God has given us. But do you have it? Do you have faith? Right, suppose some of you would say, everyone has faith. Now, in case you're thinking that everyone has faith, I refer to you, I refer you to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 2. It simply says, Not all have faith. Not all have faith. And so I ask you a question again. Do you have this faith? You remember the exhortation from the last sermon uh, in uh, chapter 10, verse 39. It says, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Are you together with the author of the book of Hebrews when we say, but faith we by faith, we, when he says here, we are not, it says, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Are we there? Are you there? If you do not have faith today, listen, I do not have a basket that I'm hiding here to give out faith to you. I don't have it. I don't have any faith to give to you myself. If you do not have faith today, you need to ask God. Because the Bible says, faith is the gift of God, lest any man should boast. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. You can obtain a faith of equal studying with the Apostle Peter today. That's what he says in 2 Peter 1.1. 1, 1. If you were to obtain it from the Lord, it would be of equal studying with every saint. So then you need to pray like this. Lord, have mercy upon, upon me, for I do not have faith, but I know that you give faith as a gift. Give me saving faith to trust in the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, today. 
And the Lord, the Bible says, he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him here in verse 6. And then secondly, God not only commands, but also justifies the ungodly who have faith. Would you be willing to admit that you are ungodly? It's a question. Would you be willing to admit that you are ungodly? Very few people would admit that they are indeed ungodly. But who does God justify? It's the ungodly, isn't it? He is God, he's the God who justifies the ungodly. God actually commends and approve, approves not the righteous, not the holy ones. God commands and approves those who would humbly admit that they are ungodly and undeserving of his, uh, uh, of his uh, commendation. The good news is that God approved those of old, not because they were so godly and holy, but because they were ungodly and but then had faith in God. The Bible states, for by faith the people of old received their commendation. Divine commendation is what you need in your life more than money, more than promotion, more than health, more than anything that this world can offer. You need to be commended by God more than by men, more than being approved by your parents and by your girlfriend, by your boyfriend or your husband or your Wife, you need God's commendation more than anything else. Some of you would do anything to be commended by your friends and relatives. You know what we call peer pressure? Teenagers, I'm speaking with you now. Peer pressure, whereby you feel because so-and-so has said so, this and that, or has done this and that, because so-and-so dresses like this, because so-and-so speaks like this, therefore you feel obligated to be like them, to conform. Please, human commendation comes and goes. You are commended today for one thing that you've done, and tomorrow you are being condemned. You remember how the people of Jerusalem were commending Jesus one day. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna. And they were lying. They, <coughs> they were putting things, their own clocks on the floor. Their clothes and, and their palm branches. And they were hailing him with Hosanna. But then the following day, what were they saying? Crucify him away with that man. That's a way it is with people. They command you today, they condemn you tomorrow. So seek 
to be commanded by God. I beseech you, in the name of the Lord, seek and pursue with all diligence God's commendation, not by works of the law, but through an unreserved, unqualified trust in Jesus Christ. Do not sleep today until you are absolutely sure that God has commended you. God has justified you. God has approved you. God has forgiven you of your sins. And thirdly, the object of faith is not faith. The object of faith is God. There are those who teach that we are to have faith in faith. Charismatic preachers. They teach that faith is an independent force to which all things are subject, as I said, even God himself. So they claim that God supposedly unleashed his faith in creation through positive confession in order to create the universe. Does God exercise faith here when he created the universe? By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. That's where they get the word rema, by the way. The word of God there is rema. It's not logos, though the difference is basically nothing. It's just a different nuance, but it's the same thing. Between the rema word and the logos word, which they make a big distinction, there's no difference. You see, we exercise faith toward God. That's what it means that the object of faith is God. God did not, did not need to exercise faith when he created. Rather, it is us who exercise faith in God and in the veracity of his word when we know and believe that the worlds were made by God through his word. In making these claims, these men are twisting the scriptures to suit their word, word of faith theology. But then they twist the scriptures to their own destruction. There's no one greater than God in whom we should exercise faith. That's what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 6 verse 13. And so the error of the word of faith teachers is clearly seen as an attempt to deify faith. To make faith their God. To dethrone the triune God. And to have him bow to, the new, to their new deity, faith. Because they teach not faith in God. They don't teach faith in God. They teach Faith is God. And that is a grave blasphemy. That's why you need not to listen to those TBN guys. You know? That's why you need to, not to listen to them. They utter so much blasphemy that you participate in their scenes when you sit down to listen to Joyce Meyer and to Duplantis and all these guys who are in the TBN and Gone TV. Please, avoid them like plague. The object of faith is God. And finally, the fruit of faith is obedience. 
Biblical faith must bear the fruit of obedience to God's law, submission to Christ as Lord, dependence on the sovereign God and full trust and confidence in Him. Faith agrees with God's word. Faith defers to and follows its object, who is Christ. Such is the character of faith, of true faith. God has given us prayer, among other things, to remind us of our need of and utter reliance on God. Why? And how can we outgrow that posture unless we are seeking autonomy from God? How can we obey God without prayer? How can we live a life pleasing to God without his help? If we are going to be God's obedient children, then we must be drawn to his presence in prayer. We must approach his throne of grace in deep contrition and humility, pleading that he may help us to be his obedient children. And we all should say, God help us God give us faith, because that's what we need more than anything else. By faith, we understand. Amen. May the Lord bless his word. Let's rise up to sing by faith. And not by sight. Lord, we thank you that uh, you are the giver of faith. So we ask, dear Lord, that you would dispense your faith to us without measure so that everyone who does not have faith may have it and anyone whose faith is weak may be strengthened. Anyone whose faith is running out may be increased in faith and be strengthened in faith and each one of us may be strong in faith strong and courageous to live this life in a manner that pleases you. Lord, you've told us that without faith, it is impossible to please you. For whoever would draw near to you must believe that you exist and that you reward those who seek you. So we pray, Lord, that we live here with a commitment to live life that is well-pleasing to you even to the glory of your name. Amen.